We are in Champions League, man. That was my name. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, coaches. Welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us today is Ali Bain, academy coach and recently moved on to the analysis and scouting side as well with Insight Analysis, which we'll talk about later in the chat. But initially, we brought Ali on to talk about an area of the game that I get quite a few emails. And we're going to start a new segment on this where we basically look at some challenges that coaches are facing and talk through potential solutions. This one is how to deal with different ability levels in a team. So we hope to do a few more of these hot topics. If you enjoy them, please let me know and spread the good word and join in. Feel free to email me a topic that you want covered, gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Before getting into things, I'd like to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Sports Lab 360. As a coach, it feels like you always need more time to teach your players all these different concepts, which is what we're talking about in this podcast episode. But not when you use Sports Lab 360. You can assign their interactive modules to your players outside of training time so they can continue the, the learning process. Stick around at the halfway point for a special offer. Okay, here is Ali. Enjoy. Ali. Thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. It's a pleasure to me. Thanks for me back on. Brilliant, brilliant. We're going to hopefully do a couple more of these. My my goal is to I put something on the, one of the social media pages a couple of days ago. It was like, all right, instead of doing a podcast on journeys or, or something like that, let's look at, at, um, at some challenges that people are facing and then let's have a chat about fixing them, how we would fix them, not necessarily how they're supposed to be fixed. And we'll have a bit of fun with it. We just had a brief chat there before so this is a problem Ali that I sent you the email and I'm going to read this out uh, not the whole email and I, I've got a few of these over the last year it's, it's basically he's got a dilemma I have a team of mostly inexperienced players quite young to the point first touch is a ch- I'm going to change some of the word in here first touch is a challenge my question is you know how do I address this issue of basically having a team of players experienced players is a nice way of putting it and inexperienced players all having to come together with limited time to compete um you said just before we started that that you've heard this one before so give me your overview of it well i think first of all this is the you know this is the tough part of you soccer right when you're talking about developing any player it's what do you focus on first is it the team or is it the individuals and i think Sometimes whenever we set up sessions or we think about season plans, we can get too literal with it because ultimately, guys, you know, when you put a session out, you're developing all the players, even if you literally said nothing and just gave them a ball, right? A couple of cones down. So I don't I don't think it has to be as um, prescriptive as, okay, we all have to have a ball each, almost like the curver style and all individual training. I just think it, you, you have to approach these things always with a sort of global view of you're looking to improve all of the players and then with some of them it's therefore you've maybe got to give them a bit more information a bit more time 
because I think that's that's what I've found selling my own coaching is that it's that individual touch that helps players. It's not necessarily just the sessions. Do you think it's driven by the again you, this new phenomenon? Not new, but over five years of player development, IDPs. Is it driven by? Well, we're now having a more evaluative lens on players just as a coaching community. Is it driven by that, do you think? Or is it driven by not 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 the coach that's emailed, but just coaches in general thinking, oh, I've got to win a match here. And it's hard to win a match when everyone's not at the same level. And, you know, is right. it the collective driving it or is it this new phenomenon of player development? Well, I, th- I think definitely there's a, a, a drive towards this player development model where we want every player to be the same and and I think that's that's what concerns me when you look at professional football now I mean even if we take the role of a holding midfielder just as a, a position um, you know out top of my head how many different profiles are there now of a holding midfielder right so if you equate that to a youth player who again a smaller player a taller player a slower player a faster player they're going to have different characteristics so thinking that we can develop everyone under this sort of blanket of, well, they're all going to be able to control their back foot. They're all going to be able to receive it on the inside or outside. For some players, Gary, that's just, you know, they'll pick that up over time. It's not something we need to worry about today. And there's other players that might be amazing at striking the ball with their laces. And let's go make them better at that. You know what I mean? That, that's that's going to help everyone on a, on a weekend. So I think that's, that's definitely where I try and approach it is, not to be so specific on one little thing and just, you know, let it over time develop. Mm, interesting. That that is something I've seen, especially in social media. And I've actually actually have picked up on this the last couple of years where positional profiles where it all almost becomes a wish list mm-hmm. of a right right winger, for example, you use defensive midfielder, I'll use right winger, uh cut inside, beat player down the line. But the the more that you get experience to higher levels, the more you realize that in context, that player can't do. Yeah, like if they're playing in high, if it's a pro player playing the high school game, they're probably able to do most things. Right. But if it's a, but in context of where you're at, every player, even at professional level, is stronger in some area. That's probably more right. There's probably the mm-hmm. professional has doubled up on strengths and hid weaknesses rather than. What you're saying there is the average doesn't really exist. Well, I also think as well, it's, it's that approach to pressure, right? You talk about the top-end professionals. It doesn't matter if they've got a man marking them or, or two players coming down on them. They always seem to be able to regulate a lot of pressure. And, I, and I, I feel for a lot of the youth players now, because we're very possession-orientated, certainly in America, where it's, it's quickly moving the ball, and again, that that's... Nothing wrong with that at all. But in lieu of that, sometimes we forget there's going to be times where you can't pass it. There's, just, there's no way out of where you're at. So you have to be able to solve that problem. And that's where, you know, the big discussion points about, you know, unopposed versus opposed individual training versus group training. You know, if you if you put a 5v5 game with two goals in a, a, a small area, there's going to be scenarios where you're going to do all of those things. And like I say, it's up to you then as a coach as to how you cater that. Is it one touch? Is it we putting touch restrictions? Is there no touch restriction? All of those things become, um, again, how you set up the environment for your players because that's then how it's going to look on a weekend. Yes. 
the environment. So, so Judith brings us along nicely. It is. I get most of these from high school, so let's use the high school analogy. Club coaches probably have team selection picked a little bit more deliberately. So, say you go to West End High School tomorrow, and you notice that there is a well, oh, freshman class or senior class. There's a difference. You're saying that you would go into it with a more over, like a, a holistic view of like get the session right, mm-hmm. rather than. I'm going to break this down and do a little bit of extra work with him or her and then do a little extra work with, you know, you think that keep the main thing, the main thing. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'll, listen, I'll give you an example, right? There's so much on social media now about unopposed passing pounds to go, for example, right? And when Man City do it, it literally looks like the greatest that no one misses and every cross is perfect. And then when you, you, you know, God love you, you see, you see some of these, you know, youth coaches will run that same session where I get a high school group and the balls are going everywhere, they're hitting the parking lot and the wee keepers in goals, they you're going to touch. I think that's where, again, we have to break down where your team's at and where you want it to get to. So if we take the, again, going back a step there, the unopposed and opposed, if everything you do has some element of attack v defence, right, there's an there's a obstacle between where you are to the goal. I just think that that in in you know simple terms is going to improve the technical level, it's going to improve their understanding, it's going to improve the decision making because there's an obstacle there. The minute you remove that obstacle for me, I think that's where players start to to switch off. And again, I know that's a hot topic in, in coaching right now about what that looks like and how you develop that, but just in a pure team sense, right, and, and improving a group of players, I think that's that's what you need. Very, very interesting. The what you're saying there is like, all right, so player X may not be able to thrive in a four v two rondo and or a might be two within the middle player checking a shooter. They're not biscuits, but can you find something that they're decent at? which right. is the bread and butter of competing, right? Attack me, mm-hmm. what I was, I'm sure the same for you, Ali, when I was growing up, coaching wasn't as methodical and as clinical as what it is today. There was a lot of attack versus defense exercises, which I still think have their place. You learn to compete, you learn to defend numbers up, numbers down. And I wonder if, have we moved away from that there? And in, in this fancy word methodology, have we we moved away from, again, are we looking for a, a possession-based player? Well, surely there's there's value in that player that can compete, either create or stop. Well, I think what we've, what we've done is, is, is a, I guess, a sort of coaching community, right, is it will maybe complicated a little bit, right? And what I mean by that is, is if we if we take the the two goal approach right, it's a real simple. Here's where I defend behind me. Here's where I attack in front of me. Whereas we've now sort of brought in these little three sixty games that you mentioned the rondo there being one of them, or maybe there's an exit game where it's a box and a box where now all of a sudden I might attack in front of me, you know, to the right hand side. But if I receive it, I can also attack behind me and get out of the box or you know escape or whatnot. So now all of a sudden we're asking players who may be struggling in that sort of regular back and front game to now think 360 and all of a sudden they, they become overwhelmed and, and maybe sometimes that, you know, there's a lot of options that now confuse them. So I think that's the important part is is that we don't 
you get away from what is the basics of the game and then allow them to thrive in that. And again, at some point in it, their understanding is going to be there where they can they can maybe think a little bit bigger picture. But, you know, and this is not to sort of dumb it down for players, Gary. It's just more to put them in an environment where they can be successful and they get more confident at it. Yeah, you, you think uh, as you can overcomplicate something, you think of the X's and O's, but you're actually right there. You can overcomplicate it in, a, in an exercise that the demands on that player might be a little bit too much. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And that, that could maybe go back then to how we think of, again, define technical efficiency or right. technical quality, right? Because mm-hmm. this, well, if, if you look at like even the evolution of, let's just even go back to, again, real basics, right, of when we talk about seven, eight, nine-year-olds, everyone's got a ball, it's dribbling around. Now we're starting to see... You know, passing combinations, you see a lot of these in warm-ups now and, and, and coaches really early are talking about these complicated little manoeuvres and, you know, rotations and whatnot. I, I think this is where we've got an opportunity now as coaches to to break that down and say that all, all of those things are valid, right? We want every player to be at least comfortable in possession, not be scared of it so they're just smashing it forward. But at the same time now, put them in a situation where centre-backs are going to control it differently than wingers they are, right? Therefore, if I, if I ask a central midfielder to turn out a pressure, that's going to be different than a striker does it. So not that we want to put people into positions early, but there's certain kids that gravitate towards those areas, so can we make it a bit more nuanced as to how we set up a practice, right? So going back to your, your idea there with Rondo earlier, maybe only put central midfielders in the middle, the kids who you think are going to play there or the kids that play at fullback, put them in spots where they see someone in front of them and someone to the side of them, just so there's that more, you know, a bit more familiarity. So again, it's not such a huge difference when they when they go into a game. Uh, and then again, further to that is, is trying to set up those games earlier, right? And I speak about this a lot with the coaches at, at our club in Charlotte is, this idea that the game at the end is where it needs to be, start with a game, like put it in the middle. I mean, there's all sorts of different, you know, whole part hole and all these, you know, things we've heard for years. But, you know, put it into the sessions where the game obviously is the teacher, but literally the teacher as well. So you're not feeling, all right, well, come into the session, that's when we play a game. Like, you know, put it different parts of it and, and, and let them live it. Hello coaches, we'll take a quick break here to thank our sponsor, Sports Lab 360. If you're looking for something to immediately impact the development of performance of your players, you have to check out Sports Lab 360. It's an online platform made up of engaging, interactive modules that focus on a variety of tactical principles. As a coach, you can assign these modules to your players prior to training based on what you'll be working on. So instead of progressing the session from A all the way to Z, your players will have a cognitive head start when they arrive. As a result, you won't have to spend as much training time explaining the principles. You can quickly move on to the next layer, implementing your philosophy and your style of play. Coaches can also track progress, put in customized notes, tap into the session plan library, a collaboration that they've done with us, Modern Soccer Coach, to put those concepts together on the field. It's a fantastic platform, and throughout the month of September, you can use the code MSC to save 15% off any Sports Lab 360 plan. Please check it out on the link below. And a massive thanks to them for teaming up with us on these podcasts. Thank you. 
it builds it builds it nicely. The this thought process that all right, so say it's a fifteen year old, sixteen year old, inexperienced players that are alongside ECNL players and it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, okay, well, what, what resources could we do? And you mentioned Corva there, which is tried and tested, and you know, it's it's done what it's done over the years. A mm-hmm. lot of good stuff. How much do you think that if you give a 15 year old with a low experience in football, and you did Corva for two hours a day for six months, how better could that player be in reality? Yeah, and and this is the tough one. I mean, speaking for myself, I'm not so sure a lot. And the, and the reason why is, I, I, I go back to what I said earlier, if you take away the thinking, if you take away the nuance of what happens when I'm under pressure, personally, I feel the player switches off, right? And there's not that same sort of muscle memory, that same reaction time. If you've, if you've got pressure coming from different angles in front, behind, Clearly, they're going to react and, and do things in in the sort of the moment, and I guess it's that stream of consciousness for me that you're looking to try and improve the touch of the ball, right? Whether it be, you know, the angle of approach to strike it, whether their toes down and up, all of those things. Again, you could argue the cover model will improve that, but if we're if we're figuring that any player has a basic level aptitude, they can strike a ball, they can dribble it, and whatnot. The difference between a player who can do those things and can be effective on a Saturday or a Sunday is one who understands what their job is. And if again, if I'm going as a central midfielder and my role in this team is to pit the fullbacks every time, then do that. Make them great at that. <laughs> if my role as a right winger is to dribble down the sideline and put a ball in the box, put me in those scenarios where I'm going to be you know, doing that regularly in a session. And unless I know that's an easy thing to say if you've got 30 kids and maybe you know, there's only two coaches that like you've got to be creative there and that's where your your session planning comes in but i think that's when we when we talk about technical development for me it's it's being more appreciative of what is actually what the kids are actually going to see rather than you know again like i said earlier this generic idea that everyone can do everything yeah i uh, this topic brought me back to like the the college coach in me which was when i first started uh as a college coach i thought the spring was a brilliant and you still hear this i'm gonna challenge this like spring's a great opportunity to make people better <laughs> and i and i thought ah this is great yeah you can get out with those matches you can do small group sports and i am a big proponent of positional training well it's not positional training that is, because I'm a big proponent of everything aligning together. Yeah. I don't believe that you can have a learning segment of the game and then a heavy schedule of the game. I <laughs> need a little bit of a diet, needs a bit more balance. But like, was that learning environment good for those players to do more touches and technical work? A hundred percent. The learning environment was great. But hand on heart, did it make player X better in six months who was maybe struggling on left foot or maybe... no. No chance at that right. and that's something that I uh, I would no problem in saying like that mm-hmm. you can only technically if if you isolate the technical you can only improve a player minimally over a certain age group. My six year old kid is going to be different. Right. Well, my sixteen year old midfielder or my twenty one year old midfielder. But you're saying there is is there that in the. The, the, when you get to the decision making of the game, 
Mm-hmm. That's whenever you see the difference. You're not going to move the bar that much. Well, I think we add to that as well, Gary. Like if you think about the difference between your fall season and spring season as a college coach, right? The biggest difference is the games, right? That's that's the other part. And if if you've got kids who um, are playing more in the spring than what they were in the fall, then yeah, maybe there's an opportunity there for them to improve because they have that game piece where they've got something tangible at the end of it to say, well, this is where we've improved. If we're, if we're purely grading people on a, a bell curve of how they trained, um, then yeah, that's I, I I'm not so sure as I say legitimacy because if that was the case, mate, I'd be the, I'd be a great player. If I, yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm just being training. This is a different <laughs> podcast. Where where should we have gone with training habits? Like I I should have been Premier League. Yeah. When I think about it, I'm giggling, thinking you hear you still hear it. I lo- I love I love the spring. I love a three month break that we can't play any matches. <laughs> Which brings me along nicely to one of my questions, Dave. How do you then monitor progress or judge progress if you're going to say player X is, I keep saying inexperienced, but basically not at the level that you would need that or want that player to be at? How do you judge that player over six months? Listen, it's, it's really hard. And I guess this is, the, this is the piece now where if you've got, an, let's say, an established team, right? So let's say you've got a, um, a set of 11 in your head or a 12 or a 13 and you know again it's going to have to be in some sort of inner, inner you know, squad scrimmage or inner program scrimmage where you're you're able to you know base against each other if obviously it's a striker it's goals if it's a goalkeeper it's you know saves percentages and whatnot but ultimately mate, if we're actually grading performance it's really hard, right? I mean, it's outcomes, obviously, right? And obviously, there's the eye test there. Is someone fitter? Is someone stronger? Like, do you, do you see more energy there? But again, I go back to it from a purely training perspective. I'm sure you've had them as much as we all have. There's some players who are terrible in training, can't even run, but they'll win a game for you on a Saturday. And that's, that's the weird part of football. I mean, I know they always say at the professional level, there's those players and you hear all the anecdotes. But there's not a team I have in boats that that player is involved in. You know, we'd, we'd love every day to be a James Milner, right? A Jordan Henderson, I'm sure, are the best trainers and the best guys. But sometimes, you know, you, you just need that that little X factor. And unfortunately, until you get back playing games, you, you're not going to be able to see that. I don't think, anyway. Yeah, and I, and I don't think, Ali, that you're being a results-focused coach if you're saying that the that the game is the game, like mm-hmm. because then you're overlooking the fact that was it Al Iverson practice? We're talking about practice. Like, <laughs> like are you going to judge me on that as well? <laughs> Ten people come to my head when I think of that. There, players that were useless in training, and you listen to Under the Cosh podcast, and they tell you fifty more who right. you thought there's no way that player had no interest. It's actually like, all right, the player, the inexperienced player isn't going to go on and, and actually dominate on a Saturday or a Wednesday or Tuesday if they mm-hmm. if they struggle to do basic. I, I understand that. But you might be overvaluing the drill mm-hmm. over, the, over the match itself, right? Because matches come down to, again, I've, I've seen, I've coached it. I've coached at high school, middle school. Like it, There's a, an element of competing, closing people down. That's got value there. Sure. Yeah. You know, some drills 
they're not even some drills. So training sessions, you don't see that. Um, oh, listen, this is this is the thing, and and I guess it it surprised me this year, right? I'll give a quick example. I, I coached that under sixteens team in Charlotte here, and Red Bulls came and and picked up the centre back from the team this year, a, a brilliant defender, six foot tall, great athlete, but not someone that I would have said at the start of the year. This is a technically gifted footballer who's going to well, make his way in MLS Academy. But what I thought was excellent is that they looked at his characteristics, looked at his personality, they just looked at him as a raw athlete, raw defender, went, well, we can develop that. And I think that's maybe where we've lost our way a little bit in football sometimes, is that that's not always the case, is it? We, all, we always want the, the technically gifted player that we can hopefully develop in an athlete. And... You know, just being a good defender in itself, it, again, is something that I think we've lost the way a little bit. We don't value enough. And give those players some, you know, rudimentary skills that they can move the ball and, and maybe carry it forward and do something a bit more functional with it. Um, but like you said, I think it's, you know, going down into the details and everything's got to be dribbling and one touches. I'm, I'm not so sure we need to be there all the time. You, you said something there earlier about the exercise about using midfielders in the in the rondo in a certain mm-hmm. way. Do you think that you could perhaps organize a system of play that has players organized into different skill levels, or is that a little bit uh, idealistic? Well, I think if you again, if you go back to you know the the genesis of four four two, right? Again, if we go back to the sort of very early days, even back in the you know British football we were growing up. Irish football, it was it was one where that was the sort of best spread of the people on the field, right? And I think that's sort of where that came from now. I would argue we're looking at it more through the lens of like, where are my best players? Where can I get my best players on the ball? And I see teams now, a lot of clubs for the longest time would have a set formation that this is where I play, you know, 4-3-3, it's tacking fullbacks, regardless, even if the kids can't do it, this is how we play. And there's other clubs that are a bit more pragmatic and saying, well, if I've got three good centre-backs and maybe want them this week, so I'll play three at the back with, you know, only two players out wide. So now there's less onus that I need actual wingers. You know, I don't need to worry about wide attackers. I can put more midfielders if I've got them. But in terms of sort of how you, you know, position players and whatnot, I think this is where it comes back to um, a skill sets thing of if you're going to put Let's say a diamond four four two. Right, a lot of people in the middle of, middle of the field, and they're not all technically able to play with each other. There's now going to be these huge gaps elsewhere. You've got to try and defend. So I, I think that's where it's it's understanding the players and trying to best spread it out. I think that's that's for me why I, I would typically always start with a four four two for the youth team, and then sort of work my way forward from there. Because you know, four or five games into the season, you'll understand where where teams will play. Um, and again, go back to my example earlier about the, the 16s team I coached this year. We we finished the season with a, a three at the back, a diamond four and three up front. I mean, the most complicated yeah. nonsense ever, but we started from a position of four four two, like it's just how we got there, you know? Um, and I think that's where sometimes coaches need to be a little bit more, I find anyway, a little bit more adaptable to the situation and the players you've got rather than going in with a preset idea of we're going to do this and then shoehorn everybody into it, you know? Yeah, that's exactly the way I would approach it tactically, would be, all right, if I have a, I'm going to 
on the front and back end, I'm going to apply pressure, high pressure up the park. So at least get everyone working hard. And because I don't think you can, the things that you would want in a high school or club season would be, you know, energy, enthusiasm, high work rate, uh, enjoying the game. Hard to, it's hard to do that in a system that just saying, all right, well, we don't have X and Y. We'll sit back and play on the counter attack. Right. Because sitting back, uh, we've all been there. It, it sounds as if you're actually not taking any risks, but you do that right. for four weeks and you're you're in a dark place. Right. <laughs> so at least get up and, and, uh, and then, so a front two, I definitely go up front two. I definitely go a back four because a back four gives you, you can manage. Um, and if we go back to high school, narrow pitches, normally a way that you can mm-hmm. you can get a ship them across plus it's a way that you can also um, manage a midfield a little bit better if you're playing a two and a three or a one and a three and a bit more a bit more variables um, mm-hmm. how do you think then from a coach if a coach is systematically keeping it not basic but starting from a position of understanding do you think a coach who maybe has got inexperienced players needs to be wary of information and communication and how they're doing that there. Um, because that's got that's got to be an adjustment period as well for an inexperienced player, right? Not just the technical part. Totally. I mean, you know, off, off the ball, again, let's take a quick example of, you know, best laid plans. We lose the ball. What are we going to do? You know, and, and again, if we, if we put all our eggs in the here's how we build up, here's how we attack, here's how we finish, the minute we lose the ball, if you're, again, full full two, for example, two wingers are stood out like linesmen and, you know, they don't come inside, all of a sudden you're dead because you get two players trying to defend the full width to the field. So it's it's those understanding. And we, we talk a lot about hard work in football. We talk a lot about you know, energy and helping your teammates getting back, getting forward. I think there's sometimes a, an under, you know, a lack of understanding from the coach of, well, if you want us to attack and whatever shape, right? We can't suddenly like morph into <laughs> or teleport ourselves 70 yards somewhere else to go defend. What are we at? How are we going to approach this, right? And, you know, you see a lot sometimes in, in youth football now, they'll say everybody's got to squeeze the back line up, squeeze the back line up. And then the wee goalkeeper stood in his goal line, you know, rather than bringing everybody, literally bringing everybody forward, you know, and, and trying to manage in behind the goal and behind the back line. So I think that's where... There's, you know, they are children or they are youth players at the end of the day. They're, they're not going to be able to solve every problem. But for us as, as coaches and adults to sort of take away some of those anxieties is to, okay, if we lose it in this spot, here's who we think could go press the ball. Here's how we're going to go and move. And that, and that may be one of the defenders steps forward, becomes a midfielder for a couple of minutes. It might be that one of the midfielders drops back, makes it a five for a couple of minutes. Like, however that is, I, I personally, I think that's, a critical part of what development is coaches now that again I think a lot of the minutiae of, of coaching we've maybe lost a little bit over um last couple of years. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, last couple for you. Um have a bit of fun. Let's say you've gone to I don't know what to call this, half an hour ago park, something East Park High School. Uh let's just say I'll give you one position that you want to have an experience, your top player, state player of the year, uh, division one, for ACC, whatever it is. What what position do you want? Give me a striker any day of the week. Somebody could score me goals. That's I mean, it, 
it's it's the hardest thing to coach in football for me. It's, it's the most thing we do a lot of. Obviously, we talk about attacking movements, but how many actual shooting sessions do we do during the year? Not not a lot. So if you've got somebody who's naturally good at it, um, I'll be honest, I'm not so big on the profile. Maybe once upon a time, I would have said this had to be a target striker, but Harumba, right? I, <laughs> I think nowadays, you know, having somebody that can literally just put the ball in it. I think is is critical. All right, and then the other one is what what position would you what position would you take a punt on and say, do you know what? Give me give me a player and I can turn it into you I can utilize that player with uh, either the basics or a bit of coaching or I can just hide it. I'd say a wide player. And the, and the reason I say that is is that I think over the last couple of years I've went from Every every team I coach, I like having width. I like having wide players that stay wide and attack for the flanks. But I'd say in the last couple of years, I think I've become a bit more amiable to maybe changing that up a little bit. So maybe put a midfielder out there and come inside and play a little bit, or come in off the off the sides and, and join in. So I'd I'd say a player that would operate out wide that maybe isn't one that we you know Adam is a third mid centre midfielder. We have the ball or without the ball. And um, and try and solve the problem that way. Last piece of advice for a piece of advice for a coach who's listened to this and got uh, still struggling with it. Basically, frustrated at at not the players, but just the overall situation. Maybe it's support from administration or, or whatever it is. A coach that's just struggling internally dealing with with this type of situation. What would you have? Um, the first one would be to think of the team. What does the team need? Uh, if if you take care of the team, then usually the players take care of themselves, right? So you can give them the empathy and the care, the attention. Then usually they'll give you it back, right? If your first instinct is to yell at people, then it's probably not going to work out for you in that environment. But at the same time, you also need to think of individual development as that. It's on an individual basis. So if you don't have the relationship, you don't take time maybe after the training, before the training, during the training, to literally talk to a person one-on-one, then, you know, it doesn't matter how many individual sessions you run, everyone's got a ball. They're not going to improve because they're not going to feel you're invested in them. And I think that's, again, a big part we've maybe lost as, as coaches, that when we deliver a message, we, we think we've delivered it to everyone, but maybe not everyone's taken on board. So I think that's that would be the, the, the critical piece I think I've learned since the last five to ten years of my career is is talk to people more like on a one on a one to one level. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Um talk to us a little bit about we we've got some plan in the works uh you to help out little an MSC project that we're working on. Um you're transitioning to more analysis stuff uh, and some consultancy stuff by yourself. Uh, talk to me about that journey over the last couple of months. So I was I was full time with Charlotte Soccer Academy in the city here. I still I'm still involved with the staff and ETL program, um, but moving away from coaching to take more of a sort of I guess a full time approach to analysis. It was something that I've been working on for the last couple of years now. So Insight Analysis is the, is the name of the group, and basically it's to try and provide. Um, Video analysis services, scouting services, basically just a little bit more support to colleges, youth soccer clubs, you know, lower level professional clubs that need 
basically additional help, right? You know, not everyone's got access to all these off the field um, areas or certainly they just might not have the expertise, so they may just need some help. Um, so hopefully I can, I can lend my, you know, up to 10 years worth of experience doing this like we all do, right? We all duck and dive, we've got a coach team who's got to try to prepare. I've learned hopefully over the last couple of years ways to, that I can show other people to develop at that and hopefully provide some some uh, some services for them as well. Brilliant. Coaches and players? Yes. Yes, certainly. And um, I think the, the interesting piece, obviously coming on myself, Gary, is, is trying to develop more of a, um, like I mentioned earlier there, investing in players and hopefully players can invest in themselves and, and giving them the platform to, to hopefully develop as well. Brilliant. All right, watch this space. We've got some got some stuff uh, coming up in the near future, and uh, I hope there's a great response to this episode, and uh, we can solve the world's problems one <laughs> by one every week. Or at least have a bit of crack up it. Charlie, yeah. I said we'd try it. Brilliant, Ali. Thanks so much. I love that. This has been great. Thank you. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.